Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field. Well, over the summer, before we launch into season two, I thought we could look back on some of the inspiring moments that have shaped our conversation over the past year. It's been so much fun talking with all of the inspiring people who've come on the podcast over the past year. I hope it's benefited and blessed you too. So for today's episode, a sort of a a summer special, I've cut together some comments from a variety of contributors, all on the theme of COVID and pastoral leadership. No doubt many of us, if we're not on holiday at least, are still trying to pick through the general knot of thoughts and impressions that the past 18 months have made on us. What does all of this that we've been through mean for the future of the church? What lessons are there to learn? What do we want to carry forward and what are some of the things from the past we want to leave behind? Well, today's episode features clips from Simon Elliott, David Holden, Terry Virgo, Mike Bett, Simon Holly, Phil Moore and Steph Liston, each with their own insights for you and I to consider on that subject. Think of this as a bit of a highlight reel. So we've got advice for lost Christians, growth and the gift of COVID, the need for the presence of the Holy Spirit and some tips for maintaining healthy spirituality. Well, before I press play on these sound bites and nuggets of wisdom, I wanted to offer a little reminder that in season two, starting in September, we're hoping to interview more people from within our churches who have insights to share on the Christian life, with particular focus on how you out there are working out your various callings in the workplaces that you spend the majority of your time. So if you have an idea of someone that you think we should contact, or if you'd like to be on the show yourself, please do drop me an email on podcast at newgroundchurches.org. I hope to hear from you soon. Enjoy the episode. Lockdown has emphasized both our strengths and our weaknesses. Uh, Character comes out when you're under pressure. I mean, I've said to you before, character is like toothpaste comes out when you're squeezed and and so in in a lockdown situation on a personal level on a leadership level on a church level your strengths get amplified oh yeah that was really going well and therefore it's it stood the test but also the things that were weaknesses that you were getting away with both in terms of your own character in terms of your leadership style in terms of your teams in terms of your church structures they get very very exposed um and so so the, the rule of thumb is, is when you get lost, you go back to the point where you knew where you were. So that's true about a physical journey. That's true about an emotional journey. And so what I've had to do when I've had those moments where I think I'm just a bit lost here, I'm a bit lost emotionally, I'm a bit lost spiritually, you go, well, okay, I need to go back to a point where I knew where I was <laughs> and then start again. You know, most of us, when we're lost, we just keep going hoping that accelerating and not asking for directions will end up getting us in the right place. Well, that's better slowing down, going back to that point where you made the wrong call is what we should do. And so I think that's what I've tried to do. So uh, get back to the Word of God, systematically reading through the Word of God, praying in tongues. And this might sound a bit strange, but I wonder whether COVID is one of those moments, I mean, this, this, this is another subject altogether, obviously, not for another day, why is this happening? But one of them is, I think, a big pause button 
is come on the way that we did church. And I've spoken to several pastors, some outside of New Frontiers that lead big churches. And before this happened, they were beginning to be troubled by the way that church had grown and buildings had become the big thing. And they were drawing a crowd. And some of that crowd didn't want to join the church. They just wanted to come on Sundays. And they start, what are, what are we building? You know, we're not making disciples. We're just gathering a crowd. And then COVID hits, no buildings, no meetings. The crowd, some of them have presumably kind of just disappeared a little bit. So I really wonder whether a positive thing can come out of this. Haven't we got to go back to being genuinely relational? And the wineskins that we will build in the future, which will be different from the way we did things pre-COVID, that they should have an emphasis about them that's far more fellowship, relational, you know, Holy Spirit, prayer, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm really praying that that will be the case. I mean, Mike Pelavacci, most people know him, I think a year or two ago, he had basically one message that he was preaching everywhere, which was fundamentally um, the church has become too organisational in the UK. And we need to get back to being fathers and mothers producing sons and daughters. And I know some people hearing it were thinking, I believe this, but I don't know how to do it. Well, I think now we've got an opportunity to do it. And Mike, Mike's thing was, lots of people think more organisation, more growth. His point was very simple. How do families grow? Well, mums and dads produce children. That's how the church will grow. It doesn't need organizations good and appropriate. Administra administration is a Holy Spirit gift. I passionately believe that, but not at the expense of relation, relationship and being family. So we've got to find a way to make sure that's a priority. I think for some churches, they've got to rediscover the presence of the Spirit. And I know when we first got started at Seaford in the what was it? No, an evangelical free church. And I was laying hands on people, beginning to get filled with the Spirit. And that's not what we were, but it's what we became. And, and then what happened was we started, there was already a church prayer meeting, but it was dull as dishwater. It was dreadful and badly attended and poor. And then we just announced there's going to be another prayer meeting. And what happened was the people recently filled with the Spirit started coming to it. And we didn't plan that, but it happened. And that prayer meeting became a context for the presence of the Lord in an amazing way. And the gifts of the Spirit were flowing and the sense of God's presence was quite remarkable. And then gradually that came into the church. Um, I remember once that week saying to that prayer meeting, which became very well attended, I said, you realize, don't you, church could be like this. And they kind of looked at me and said, really yeah i said you know son the church could be like this and i sometimes wonder these days whether you almost need to find uh, the people who want the spirit and get them together again and and, and get a, a hot center going again and and then gradually build it into the center um i've wondered about that uh, I, I, some of you uh, would have been around when the toronto blessing so-called happened and again the year, the year slipped by it's crazy isn't it it was in the last century so uh, but it was in the mid 90s and uh, the presence of the spirit came sweeping through 
in an uh, unprecedented way uh, and quite, quite remarkable. And when it first, I was living in the USA when it happened and it swept into the church that I was in, which was a church that was nominally charismatic, but probably all the things we're saying, it was kind of drifting. Um, when the spirit came that way, people could not get enough of being in the meetings. And it didn't matter how long the meetings were. And the teenagers were saying, please can we, because we're, we're beginning to have what they call Jesus parties in their homes. They said, can we use the building? Can we, can we all gather, please? And they wanted extra meetings. And, uh, and the, the, the young people came alive because they wanted to be in the presence of the spirit. And I think it's almost that we've got to rediscover the excitement of God being in the meeting, which we're, we're, we are all, I think we're all ready for that. If only, I think in, in, in churches, New Frontiers churches, I think you don't have to throw the switch, they're up for it. I think people want that. It's not like you'd have to persuade them. Uh, I think they want God. Uh, but I think somehow we've somehow settled in some places, again, hear me, in some places, for less and i don't think god wants us to settle for less um anyways i'm praying for revival and uh, you know Ginny bergen's prophecy about the bonfires that are going to be set alight right up and down the country i pray for it daily god set these bonfires alight and uh, you know god's gathered these bonfires that used not to be there and, and they're there now there's hundreds of churches now that would be ready and when i got started that churches what's going on they wouldn't have been able to cope with it but now there are people who say yes please but they just need it even now if there's going to be a sovereign act of god in what i'm talking about now but i think we need to just get ourselves ready if the part we can play uh i think if a local church makes corporate prayer the engine room not a department then we will see a shift now what i mean by an engine room is that it becomes a culture so before we do anything we pray as we're doing something we pray when we're thinking about what to do we pray as we're doing it after we've done it we're praying there is a natural there is a natural ethos that the whole church just thinks oh, we, we pray it's what we do that, that's that's where we start we start with prayer we fuel it with prayer we give thanks and seal it with prayer. Now that's a culture, that's not an event. And I think with the revival, you notice that prayer became a culture, it became a driving force that everybody was um, attentive to. You didn't have to ask people, do you want to go to the prayer meeting? It was just, well, why wouldn't I? Because things happen, you know, th stuff happens when I go there. I think that's true. Uh, I think that the other features we can see would be such things as a robust um, belief in the authority of scripture. And I think that the church at the moment in the West, particularly in the, in the UK and, and uh, uh, Europe, we're under such pressure from secular and liberal um, theology, but secular worldviews. Uh, the, the, the pressure for us to cave in on very key biblical matters is, is there because it doesn't sound compatible with the culture we're living in. 
But if we're going to really be authentically biblical, we have to hold our ground and come what may. And we may as yet find that there are aspects of persecution and disadvantage that come to the church in this country. I pray not. But if it's a choice between do we compromise on the authority of scripture to fit in, or do we pay the price for having an authentic biblical gospel, then we have to choose that. Uh, so the, the, the revival was fueled in a belief that scripture is the authoritative word of God governing belief and practice of how we should live our lives. I think a bold proclamation of the gospel that Jesus, that we are fallen, you know, we are in Adam, we are uh, in need of redemption. Every person alive needs a savior. And Jesus is that savior, came to earth, died on the cross in our place, substitutionary atonement, took our sins in his body on the cross and gave us as a free gift the righteousness that is his the great divine exchange, as Luther called it, and that we can, to as many as receive him, he gives the power to be called, the right to, be, to call themselves children of God. Now, that, that simple gospel, articulated in whatever way appropriately in the context, must be our relentless uh, vocabulary. And uh, it certainly was in any revival. It, the gospel becomes centre. At its heart, you know, what is the what? Is, what are the what are the marks of the new covenant? It's a people saturated with the presence of God. It's a people. So the, yes, there's leadership, but that's not the emphasis of the new covenant. The big story is everyone's been filled with the Spirit. And so the big deal is that when we come together, wow, what's going to happen? Who's going to bring what? You know, you've got these different gifts, you know, the manifestation of God. Even so it's about, you know, the body of Christ, gifts being used to build one another up. I'm not just here, me and Jesus is me. It's Jesus, one another. And then I come out of that encouraged, you know, so it's that thinking about it like that. You, you know, Jesus said, teach them to obey these things, uh, the things that I've taught you. And I think we feel in our mindset that when we've taught someone, well, therefore, they will obviously obey those things. And I think the, 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 the penny has dropped with me now that that is not the case. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't realize that before. But now I've suddenly I've realized, oh, that is not the case. That teaching to obey and teaching is our very, very different things. And actually, we've got to work a lot harder at helping people to obey, to follow through. And that obedience can simply be a change of thinking. It doesn't mean to say you've got to do, do, do. It, it, but teaching to obey means you're actually embodying the words of Christ in a way that I don't think we've had enough. Fee, uh, we've not had enough focus on. We've not had tight enough accountability loops. You know, we kind of roll from one sermon to the next, to the next, to the next, with no any no real stop to say, well, is anyone actually doing anything? You know, are people actually changing because of what we're, you know, and I, and and it's not that we're rubbishing everything we've done. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we need to think more deeply about some of these things and learn. How do we get people into God's word on their own, uh, listening to it, obeying it, being transformed by it? And the other thing is that I've learned from disciple-making movements is that their ability to train people to share God's word. I don't think culturally believers in the West really share God's word, even though in Deuteronomy it's like talk about these things on the road, talk about them with the children. We just don't do that, I don't think. 
in everyday life. And I think it's been striking to me just how actively they train people in disciple-making movements to share God's word, to share the stories of God's word, and not to be ashamed of it. And I think what we've learned in the West in recent years is other people coming from other cultures are not ashamed of their the word that they have. You know, my Muslim taxi drivers are forever. You know, within every journey, it's the prophet says this and the Quran says they are just not ashamed. You talk to some of the Nigerian believers who come, you know, Christians who come, and I've, that's what provokes me is they talk about God's word in the hospital. They're, they're totally unashamed in a way that I think in the West we've just been quite so quite fragile, quite uptight almost about it and I think there's something almost embarrassed of the Bible almost you know and, I, and no wonder the, the Bible in most people's understanding is either they're hearing it slammed in the media and they're hearing silence from the church you know and I think actually or or a little bit religious from the church you know that's that's all they're hearing and I think for me the real provoking thing is how do we get people engaging with God's word in a, in a, in a fresh way and how do we get them sharing it with others and being excited about that and being transformed by it. I think, I think that's one massive thing that I've realized. We've got to think more deeply about that. Um, and the other thing I think is, is the prayer, the extraordinary prayer. I think there's something about prayer that God's doing across the world. And we're seeing that, you know, across lots of different movements. And I just feel there's something exciting happening in us about uh, prayer. And what does that look like? You know, why, do we, why don't we pray more on a Sunday morning? Or because people don't really like it. Well, is that a good reason not to do <laughs> If you read the New Testament, I think you'd find, come away thinking that meetings would look like a lot of prayer. And I think most of our Sunday mornings don't have a lot of prayer. Well, well they have some, you know, an individual and stuff, but the corporate, you know, they raise their voices together. I think, you know, well, why not? Well, because why don't we do, you know, so lots of things like that I'm being provoked and thinking about and asking myself about. And I think we've tried to embrace as a church um, the crisis as a moment for us to relearn what it means to Sabbath. And so I think for every Christian, whether you're a church leader or not, actually there are kind of vital principles. So I don't even think it's about prayer because there's a danger that we turn prayer and fasting into a work. We put our faith in not eating or we put our faith in going through a list of requests. Now, prayer and fasting are really about intimacy. They're about friendship with God. And friendship takes time. Pace of life is incredibly important. So if we're going to truly get healthy, we generally have to turn down the noise and slow down the pace. So Genesis and Genesis 3, there's this implication, isn't there, in that says, Adam, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord their God walking in the cool of the evening. And, and the implication is that's what happened. In the cool of the evening, you know, and we're given this, Im you know, this imagery, aren't we, of God coming into the garden and walking in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. And it's a beautiful image. And I, in, in London where we live, the first Eight weeks of lockdown were incredible in many ways because London really closed. We live about half a mile from the A3, and pretty much any time you go outside, you can hear the A3. Um, and um, for eight weeks, there was no traffic. And so when you and we had this incredible weather, you sat in the garden, and you you said things like, "Oh, the the birds are singing," yeah. And of course, the birds have always been singing. It's not. That 
birds have started singing. It's not the birds went, oh, lockdown, we better sing. Because they sing, we just heard the birds. Because one, we slowed down because we were all locked down, which meant in the middle of the day or the cool of the evening, we would sit in the garden and have a, have a glass of wine or a cup of tea or whatever. And because the noise had turned down, we heard the birds singing. And it's not that God is not walking in the cool of the evening and it's not that God isn't wanting to speak to us and it's not that the presence of God is not truly present. I just think we're so quick and we're so loud. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an, I am an external processor. I just talk too much. And, and so I can talk at God and God is very patient with me. And, but actually, you just have to stop. You know, when we're, when we're children, we're taught how to cross the road and we're told to stop, to look, and to listen. And it means we won't get hit by a car. And as adults, sometimes we need to learn to stop and we learn to look and we need to listen. So it, it is about opening the Word of God. But if we're not careful, we just add the Word of God to our very busy lives and it's it becomes... 30 minutes of can we read the appropriate number of chapters and tick the appropriate box. And by the grace of God, even when you do that, the word of God does you good. You know, even when you bolt your food, it does you good. But actually to, to sit and look at one verse for half an hour, to meditate, to read over it, to just be in silence before God, to really listen to a friend, I mean, something that can be incredibly helpful is is just to decide, I'm just going to listen to my friend. I'm going to ask my friend questions and I'm going to listen to their answers and then I'm going to ask them another question and I'm going to listen to their answers. So often we treat listening as just waiting for our turn to speak. And we, just, you know, we think, well, when in this conversation will I be able to bring that nugget of wisdom that will make people think, what? Simon, you're so clever, you know, and you think, what a nonsense, just shush. And it sounds, I think, I think healthy, healthy spirituality is not complicated, but that doesn't mean that it's easy.